What is up, Fathom fam? Thank you for listening and supporting the Fathom Church podcast. Remember, you can always visit us on our website, fathom.church. Our messages are all available there, as well as on our Church Center app and YouTube. You can check us out on Instagram or on Facebook. In addition to our Fathom Church page, you can request there to join our Fathom Family Facebook group. That is the very best way to keep up to date on all of the great things happening at Fathom. We hope that your new year is off to a great start, and we look forward to growing stronger with you in 2021. A great resource to remember to check out is our Fathom Beyond Sunday podcast. There you're going to find some practical, casual conversation, just a couple of leaders applying Sunday sermon to faith, life, and following Jesus between Monday and Saturday, not just on Sunday. So we hope to see you there, but for now, we're going to jump right into the message. Hey, I want to welcome all of our Fathom family online, and welcome our Fathom family here in the room. Um, we're so thankful for each one of you. Um, we're in such a, a new age of ministry. It, it's just every church that I talk to is just, uh, the past year has just been trying to adapt, trying to figure out what life looks like um, for the people of God. And, and frankly, I, I think much of that has been laid out for us, and much of that's not changing. I think there's uh, some little shifts that we're trying to make to be able to better serve you. And, and one of the ways we've done that here, I, I want everybody to grab your phone. If you have a cell phone, if you don't, no worries. It, it, you'll survive just fine without it. In fact, I think I'm really close to figuring out how well I can survive without it. Uh, I think just some days I just want to toss this into a river. Anybody else? <laughs> um, hey, I want you to uh, take your phone and I want you to do something real quick. If we have your information already, then um, your experience is going to look a little bit differently. But if you text the word fathom to 97,000, just do it real quick. I'm not asking anything for you other than, than send this text. If you're not in our, our, our kind of computer system, it's probably going to ask for your name and email. If we, you already, already, um, if you're already in our, our system, it's going to send back this little menu for you. And, and this is going to be really helpful no matter where you're at, no matter how long you've been with the Fathom family. When you're looking to take a next step, uh, it's just going to immediately send you a text back and say, hey, what do you need? How can we help? Like, if you need prayer, just like text three back, and that's going to immediately connect you with our prayer team. It's just, we're just trying to make things easier. So whether you're online or you're in person, it's just as simple as that. If you're ready to, you know, find out more about groups, what's going on this season, you don't have to kind of search all over and Google it. You know I mean? You can just go right to this number and it's going to be a great place to connect. Um, and so I just want you to save that number. Our giving number stays the same, um, 84321, any amount to 84321. But that, that uh, word fathom to 97,000 just kind of uh, it puts you right at the fingertips because that's, that's an important part is we're all kind of uh, spread out during the week and sometimes we, we're together on Wednesdays and Sundays or some of you are in different states or countries and you're still a part of the Fathom family. This gives us a quick way to just be able to, to be in touch when you're like, hey, I don't have that person's number. Well, you can get in touch uh, with someone uh, right away. And so I just wanted to, to, to touch base on that and hopefully that helps us stay connected uh, in what God's doing in your life and let us know how we can uh, serve you uh, throughout the week. Uh, man, I'm excited to, to go into part two of our series, uh, The Goat. Um, uh, if you weren't with us last week, we kicked off this new series on, on love. And to kick this off today, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a man who had an incredible promise on his life, but he had to live the majority of his life in the middle of that promise. And it turns out the middle is a lot messier than what he realized. And so I want to preach to you a message today entitled The Messy Middle. Because I think for many of us, we find and we come to realize that God has a promise on our life. He has a call on our life. 
And it starts out good for a second, and then we find ourselves in the messy middle for much of our lives. Um, But I want to talk to you today, and it's going to feel like as I tell you this story of this man, who I'm going to tell you who he is in just a minute, it's going to feel like the story is about him, but I want to tell you right now, the story is not about him. The story is not about his highs or his lows, his successes or his failures. The story is about the God who loved him and chose him and through every high and through every low, never gave up on him. And, it, and whenever he was faithful, when he was unfaithful, God was faithful. I don't want you, as I tell this whole story, I want you to keep that in the back of your mind and the foundation of what we're talking about. That you're not going to hear a lot of me talking about love, but I want you to know the story is about God's redeeming love that is so faithful to us through the messy middle. I want to start this story back because I want to talk to you about a man named Jacob. And you maybe have never heard of Jacob, but he was a a guy in the Bible, and I'm guessing you've probably heard of his grandfather, Abraham. Everybody heard of Abraham in the Bible, maybe at some point. Father Abraham had many sons. You maybe heard that at some point. You know that much. Well, Abraham had this incredible promise. If you were back with us in November, we did a series called The Blessing, and we talked about the Abrahamic blessing where God called Abraham out of his hometown, the little town he's from, and God had a plan for his life, and he hadn't had any children, but God had a promise for him. And, and one of the kind of lesser-known parts in his story is this, you know, he, he's really recognized as being so faithful, incredibly faithful, and really honored to being a faithful father of the faith. But Abraham, too, had a moment uh, of poor judgment, a moment in which he fell and he, he decided to deceive. He, he decided to deceive and, and he um, was uh, really, it was because of fear. It was because of fear and he, he, he lied about who his wife was because he was scared of what the consequences of, of that was going to be. And so he deceived. Well, and then Abraham and, and his wife, Sarah, eventually have a son. His name is Isaac. And Isaac marries a woman named Rebekah, right? So, so this, is, uh, this is Jacob's mom and dad. Isaac and Rebekah eventually have two sons, Jacob and Esau. Maybe some of you who know some of the Genesis story will remember these names. Jacob and Esau were brothers, and, and, and kind of how things went in that day, in that culture, that the eldest son got the birthright. A birthright is basically like the sweet inheritance. Like if any of you have had, uh, you know, parents who, who have passed on and maybe there was something left over, debt, or, or maybe, maybe a little money or a house or something like that. In their culture, like my boys up here, um, I know you guys are not going to think this is fair. I've got two boys. And so Beckett, in, this, in that culture, not in this culture, Beckett, so don't get too excited. But in their culture, you would get double the inheritance when I pass away, right? Whatever daddy had left over, all $20 of it, whatever I had left over, you would get double what Camden would, got, would get. Camden's like, that's not fair, right? right? And so um, as Isaac got old in age, Abraham's son got old in age, that deception that was just a little bit of a thread of a secret sin, a, a moment that actually got revealed in Abraham's life was now passed down in the next generation. And Rebecca and her son Jacob really conspired to deceive Isaac in his old age. He couldn't see anything, and they took advantage of him. She kind of, you know, parents aren't supposed to have favorites, but I guess she had a favorite. And she let Jacob, she worked with Jacob to deceive the husband so that he would bless and give that birthright, give that double inheritance to Isaac, or excuse me, to Jacob. 
Well, Esau's not, uh, not excited about that, and he's angry, and he wants to kill his brother, and, and dad's like, what's done is done. Like, there, there is no take-backs in this culture. When I've blessed him, and the, the inheritance is, is his, we're moving on with life. He said, the best I can tell you is you need to get out of here. You need to take off, because your brother wants to kill you. He said, I'll tell you what, here, here's an idea for you. He said, I want you to go back to your mom's hometown. Go back to Rebecca's hometown. Actually, it's where your, your grandfather, Abraham, is from. Excuse me, Jacob was 77 years old at this time. Those of you who know the Bible well might not know that much. That this is five decades after after Abraham's passed away. He was 15 when when Abraham passed away. Jacob's now 77 years old. He's never been married. All the single folks on Valentine's Day, it's okay. It's okay. He's 77 years old. and, And his dad says, hey, why don't you go back to your mom's hometown and go find you a wife? Actually, go find one of your cousins. Go talk to your uncle. Like, that's just how they did things back then. No brother-sister stuff, but go find your nearest cousin. Yeah, I know some of you are like looking at me like, seriously? Yeah, that was, that's what they did. And so he went to go, uh, to go meet one of his cousins because that was going to be his best option, his dad thought, to get out of Dodge and save face. So he takes off on this journey. And as he's on this journey back to his mom's hometown, running for his life, ashamed of what he's just done, how he's deceived. He falls asleep on the way there and he lays his head on a rock. And I want to read a few verses in Genesis 28. We're going to work our way through a couple of chapters here, just reading glimpses of it. Let's pick up here in Genesis uh, 28. Uh, I think I'm just going to pick up at verse like 14 or 15, guys, back there. Let's pick up at at verse 14. So so God got in the middle of Jacob sleeping. He's laying on a rock. And God begins to remind him while he's on the run for his life, ashamed at what he's done, trying to go find a wife. Some of you are like, that's my story. <laughs> um, as he's in this moment right here, God begins to remind him and says, hey, I still have a promise on your life. Remember that promise I gave to your grandfather Abraham? That promise is on your life too, son. I'm not done with you no matter what you've done. He says, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And and, um, and, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. Those of you who were in the blessing series, you remember that? <laughs> right? Behold, here's what God's saying to him. In the midst of running for his life, ashamed of what he's done, not proud of the deception, behold, I'm with you. And I'm going to keep you wherever you go. And I'm going to bring you back to this land. You're coming back. you got to go to a place that's going to be ugly. It's going to be messy in the middle, but I'm going to bring you back here and I'm not going to leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. There's a reverence in the middle of this dream, in the middle of his running, in the middle of his shame that God is waking him up. Not just physically, but he's trying to wake him up spiritually. He said, surely the Lord's in this place and I didn't know it. Can I just say that to some of us today before I go any further? You walked in here today just kind of through, going through the motions of being at church and you didn't know, like God's in this place and he wants to wake up your spirit today. I know you woke up and got to church, but I want you to wake up spiritually and get to God. Because he's already come to you and you don't have to work hard. It's not about an achievement and working. He's come to you. He's meeting you right where you're at and you just don't know it. You don't even realize it. 
He was afraid. He said, how awesome is this? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Verse 17. Verse 18, we'll end there. Early in the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar. Um, he set it up under his head and set it as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. I want to share just a few lessons out of Jacob's story from the messy middle because Jacob doesn't even realize it, but he's just stepped into the messy middle. Things are actually feeling pretty good as he wakes up. And the first lesson I think that, that God wants us to hear out of the life of Jacob in the messy middle, and it's really about his love, is we need to learn how to build an altar for God. We need to learn how to build altars in our life. <clears throat> the great Andy Bernard um, once said, I wish there was a way to know you were in the good old days before you actually left them. <laughs> Sometimes we don't know, like God's actually moving on us. And, and this, like, like for Jacob, God's spoken in our life. God's moved on our heart. He's, he, like, th- he actually gives him this picture of this, like Jacob's ladder or stairway to heaven that's in the dream that God's coming to him. And it's just a moment in which he's like, God's, God's with me. And he begins to make a promise to God. He's like, if you'll bring me back here, if you'll keep clothes on my back, keep food in my belly, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you. I'm going to follow you. So I'll even give you a tenth of everything you give me. I'll return it back to you. God didn't even ask him. He just, he just, what's moving out of his heart is this surrender and trust to God. But we've got to learn how to build altars because of two reasons. One, altars help us remember what God has done for us, but they also prepare us for what he's about to do. They also are pivotal in what lies ahead. About five or six years ago, Early on, first two or three years of our church, we went through a very difficult time financially in the life of our church. We, we like to have like three months of expenses, you know, just as wisdom, you know, we try to teach that, you know, make sure you have a little emergency phone. So we like to do that. Man, we were like, we didn't even have a month runway. Like it was as close to hand to mouth as we've ever been in the life of our church. And, uh, and I was, ner- I was nervous that my anxiety and my stress around finances was incredibly high. Am I the only one that's ever been there, right? Money's a stressful thing in our life. That's why it's so important for you to be surrendered in the financial areas of your life because when you trust him with that, he also takes on that stress and that responsibility because God is, will take full responsibility of the life that's fully devoted to him. He takes full responsibility of it when you get all to him and trust him with it. So we were in this season of life, and I was struggling, and, and, and I just said, God, I need you to speak to me. I needed I was in my daily devotion, and there was this passage out of Lamentations as I'm looking for, like, I need money. I need money to make the ministry go. It takes money to make ministry happen. And, um, and I read this verse that said, the Lord is my portion. And here I was worried about money, and God's like, no, 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 you don't need money. You need me. And you got me, and I'm your portion. I'm all you'll ever need, and I'm going to provide for you. It's just a powerful text. So I didn't, I didn't stack up some rocks in that moment, but it was an altar moment for me because I wrote on a note, I wrote on a sticky note. My altars tend to look like sticky notes more than they do a bunch of stacks of rocks. And so I wrote this sticky note, and then years later, we were in a financial campaign and fundraising, and someone, a family had committed to 
to give a certain amount, and they had given that in two checks. It was a large uh, sum of money, and um, uh, but but there was pressure in that season again to provide. Like we needed to fundraise. Like any fundraising season is a little bit stressful, and and uh, and I remember there was a third check that came in, and I said, um, "Hmm, it was the same amount." And I'm like, "Did they mean to do that? Because that's a, that's a lot. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money." Do they mean to do that? And so I was in this moment where I'm like, hey, just cash the thing. Just deposit it. They send it. Whatever. And I'm struggling with this. I'm like, there's actually, I think they forgot. I think they didn't realize. And, and there was a moment where I had to decide how I was going to handle this. I just happened to be in the office that day, and I looked up, and I saw that, that sticky note. It reminded me, the Lord is my portion. He's all I need. I immediately picked up the phone and said, hey, uh, I know, I don't know if you meant to do this or not, but um, this, this happened. Um, did you mean to, to send this? And, and they were like, oh my gosh, no, that was a total accident. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll rip it up right now. They're like, you know what? Keep it. Thanks for being honest about it. Um, and God, God was providing. He, he provided in such an uncommon way, but it was a moment. It was an altar and, and I just want to say right now, maybe in your life, maybe today's going to be a day in which you're waking up to just, hey, God's in this place and God's doing something. He's trying to wake us up spiritually. Or maybe that happened six weeks ago or earlier this week or six years ago. And it's a time in which God has shifted something in our perspective. And that's what happened for Jacob. And, and God had a path for him and a promise for him. He didn't even realize that things were about to get really, really messy and this altar was going to be needed to remind him and to hang on. So story goes, he walks up in the middle of the desert, he walks up to this well, which is just like a big pile of stones with a big hole in the ground and a big stone over the top. And he goes out there and he sees the, these couple of shepherds out there. Jacob's a shepherd himself. And he says, hey, fellas, have you, you guys know who Laban is? That's my uncle. I'm coming to meet him. Have you guys heard of him? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're in the right place. There is no exit sign here for Laban's house. There's nothing like that. He's just like, hey, do you know him? Am I close to the right place? They're like, you're in the exact right place where you need to be. He said he's here. He's healthy. In fact, look at that girl right there. That's his daughter. And Jacob's like, whoa, that's his daughter. She looks good. Here comes Rachel. She is walking up and turns out she's a shepherd too. She's bringing her uncle Laban's sheep to the well. Let's pick up in chapter 29, verse 9, says this. While he was still speaking with them, uh, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Uh, and when Jacob saw uh, Rachel, daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, um, and Laban's sheep, he went over and he rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Verse 11. Uh, then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. <laughs> Come on, is that embarrassing? <laughs> is that embarrassing? He just kisses her like, ah, I can't handle it. Then Jacob began to weep aloud. He kissed Rachel, began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father. I think the, the second important thing that's a lesson from the messy middle when we know that there's a promise in our life, we've made some mistakes, but now we're trying to get back to this place 
um, safely and to do it with God this time is to make the most of every opportunity. I think Jacob took it. Uh, I, th- I think he took the, the most of this opportunity that he had just on the journey to meet this woman that he, he, you know, it was a time of arranged marriages, but this wasn't just an arranged marriage. He loved Rachel. Like it was love at first sight. He was so excited. And again, he was 77 years old at the time. He was 77 years old at the time. And again, they lived much longer back then. I just heard one lady, she's 119 or 117 years old, just survived of the coronavirus. Like, rock on, sister, 119 years old. But back then, they lived a long time. And so he wasn't really in like the latter parts of his, of his years. He actually was kind of like in a midlife situation. Some of y'all feel like, hey, maybe things have moved on for me and I'm, 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 I miss my opportunity. You know, here on Valentine's Day, some, many of us are we're cognizant of our relationship status. We're cognizant that we're single or married or divorced. Or If you're not cognizant that you're married, um, <laughs> but, but, but we become a little more cognizant of our relationship status. But let me just tell you today uh, about your relationship status. You're not defined by it. Your relationship status is not a definition of your life. It's a vehicle for the mission of God. If you're married, it's a vehicle for the mission of God. If you're single, it's a vehicle for the mission of God. If you're engaged, it's a vehicle for the mission of God. If you're divorced and things didn't go like you wanted to and you find yourself in this place, it's a vehicle for the mission of God. God wants to use you still in your life, but we got to make the most of the opportunity. I think Jacob shows us two things, and I'm just going to call it lift the lid and build on common ground when you're making the most of every opportunity. They were both shepherds. They had that in common. I think that's why he, he, he just had an attraction to her, not just because of her beauty, but there was something they had in common. And let me just start with that one. When I met Taryn a um, long time ago, uh, I was actually dating somebody else at the time. We're just going to leave that detail out. But I remember when she walked in the cafeteria of that Christian youth camp, and she had taken her camp t-shirt and she had like ripped it up and tied it up and done all kinds of cool things with it. She was walking in with her cool glasses. I'm like, you know, I was, in, I was dating somebody at the time, but I was looking. She's cute. She's cute. I like it. I like it. Months would pass and we would, we would reconnect in college and, um, and I would be in some worship environments and and the thing that was just most attractive to me was not her, her beautiful um, appearance or her beautiful personality, but it was the way she worshipped God. Every opportunity there was, she was a worshiper and she loved God. Can I just tell you, if you're single in this house and you're like hoping for the next person and you've looked for love in every wrong place you can, can I just put one non-negotiable in your life that they love Jesus with all their heart. And if they don't, they're not worth your time and it's not going to end. Let me just tell you, if you're married, if you're engaged and that, that ship has sailed and you're in different places spiritually, the scriptures are so clear to you to not divorce over this matter. The scriptures are clear, okay? But when you are dating and you're in that place to build, build the right way, build on common ground. We can learn that from Jacob. The other thing I think here that we really need to grab a hold of, and I, don't, I think it doesn't matter your relationship status. He, he pushes this 
concrete lid over this well. You guys remember like with Jesus and the tomb, there was that giant rock in front of the tomb that was rolled away. Well, there was a smaller rock over the top of this well that sat there. And Jacob, (coughs) excuse me, makes the most of this opportunity. The two shepherds that were there hadn't moved the rock, but Jacob's like rolling up his sleeves. He's like, I got it, fellas. I got it. I got this. He's making the most of the opportunity to show off the guns, but it's not just that. He's also making the most of the opportunity to serve her, to serve her father. he's, He's lifting the lid of his potential by making the most of the opportunity. Can I, can I tell you, some of us, we're, we're not reaching our God-given potential simply because we're not making the most of the opportunities that are there. And chances are you're probably praying for opportunities and you're also passing up good opportunities that are right in front of you. And so quit searching for the opportunity and just make the most of the opportunity you have right now. I quit looking for the next job and like searching all over. Make the most of what you have right now. Hey, there's time for job changes and all that stuff. But I'm saying make the most of what you have now and settle your heart into wherever I'm at. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to serve. Whether, whatever your relationship status is, if you are married, make the most of the opportunities to serve your spouse. If you are dating, make the most to serve every person around you. Make the most of every opportunity to worship because somebody's probably watching. They're probably looking over a minute. We got some common ground there we might be able to build on. She loves Jesus like I love Jesus. We can build on this. So we got to make the most of, of every opportunity. Hey, so there's this thing weird in this culture. We're going to get into weirdness. We haven't even made it into the messy stuff, but it's about to get real messy. Everybody said real messy. Real messy. Um, so there's this thing called a bride price in their culture. Told you it's about to get messy. Some of you know it as a dowry. It's where, where say, me, I would go and I would pay Taryn's dad, or we would come up with an agreement how much I could, you know, make a covenant with him. I'm trying to say this nicely. I was like, make a covenant with him, pass this over in order to have her hand in marriage. He didn't make me do that, thankfully, because I didn't have a penny to my name. She was my sugar mama at the time. Like, hey, babe, can you give me some money so I can pay your dad so we get married? That's... <laughs> um, and so there was this bride price. And so he agrees to a bride price with, with Laban. And, and, and Jacob has to serve him for seven years to marry Rachel. The scripture says that after that seven years to, to Jacob, it was like a few days. He loved that girl. This wasn't just an arranged marriage. He was taken back. Hey, guys, if you're trying, I know, I know there was kind of jokes at core night about, you know, Song of Solomon stuff. Just say this, baby, I would work, I'd work 70 years for you. It would just be like a few days. But you also can't complain about taking the trash out later. You can't. <laughs> That's going to remove that argument. That's going to tear that up for you. He was like, it was just like a few days. Well, comes the wedding night, and Jacob is, is chilling out in his wedding tent, waiting for his wife uh, to come in and hang out. And um, things were dark. There was no clap on the light back then. And, um, and Laban sends her older sister Leah, who the scripture describes Rachel as beautiful in appearance and describes Leah as having weak eyes. I don't know if that meant she needed glasses. They didn't have them. I don't know what that meant. I was like, 
some kind of cut down back then, I guess. I don't really know what it meant. It could have just meant, I don't know. I don't know what it meant. Well, I'm not even going to guess. But she gets sent in there. Jacob has no idea because there is no clap on. He doesn't know. So they hang out that night. He wakes up the next morning and is like, you're, you're not the one I love. You're the sister. I'm going to talk to your dad. And so he runs out and he talks to Laban, his uncle, and he's, her dad. And he's like, hey, man, we had an agreement. You said I would get Rachel. And you he's like, apparently, son, you don't know how things work around here. Like around here, the oldest daughter gets married first. That's I'm, I'm using my paraphrase. The oldest daughter gets married first. That's how it works around here. He's like, that's ridiculous. He's like, well, it's too late. The deed's been done. We're moving on. You, you're married to her. You're stuck with her. He's like, but I'll let you work another seven years for Rachel. And then they get into a polygamous sister-wife situation. Everybody say, uh-oh. Told you it was getting messy. I know some of y'all, when you read things about polygamy in the Bible, you're like, what? what? Let me just tell you this. The, the origins of creation say that, that, that the family unit is between a man and a woman. Jesus affirms this. The scriptures, every time God is speaking, God is talking, Jesus Christ is talking, the apostle Paul is talking, it is talking about the foundation of man and woman for the family unit. Every time you see a polygamous relationship, God never puts his stamp of approval on it. Uh, but what you do see is it's a complete mess. <laughs> it's a complete mess in all the experiential stuff of you looking at the, the stuff. So anyway, so he gets this place. Uh, we're going to skip through this passage here just because I'm taking a little bit longer uh, and I need to get to this third point. So he's frustrated by this moment and, and is just like, whatever. I, so he goes ahead and he marries Rachel too. So now he's married to two sisters. Everybody say, that's weird. That's weird. It wasn't weird in their culture. It wasn't weird in their culture. So they're married. Leah, the older sister, the one he didn't love, starts getting pregnant. She pops out four boys and a girl. She pops out four boys. And before, Leah, the older sister, was jealous of her sister because she had this thing going on with this guy who was handsome, and, and she was going to get married, and now the tables are turned. Leah's having kids, and now Rachel is jealous of her older sister. And he's frustrated, and just think about this. Remember how this story started with Abraham's deception, and Rebecca and Jacob's deception, and now, and then Jacob sowed that deception, and now what has he reaped? <laughs> he's like, oh, this ain't as fun as when I was doing it, and I was getting the double inheritance, now I'm having double the labor to get what I believe is mine, what I believe God's called me to. It's harder work now. So he works off this seven years with him, and it's just a mess. It's just a mess. She'll have, Leah will have four babies. Rachel won't be able to get pregnant for a long time. Eventually, she'll send her servant in to have babies on her behalf, and she'll have two on her behalf. I know that's weird, too. I told you it's about to get messy right? She'll have two babies, and Leah won't be able to have kids anymore. She'll have two more. They'll end up being 12 kids between four women for Jacob. Told you, you thought your family is messy. Their family was messy. It was a, it was a crazy situation, and with every child that came through, that, that there was an opportunity, this messy middle that just got messier and messier in Jacob's life, he had an opportunity that God was actually working in the messy middle to do something, and here's what I, I want to tell you my third thought here is that from the, the messy middle, your integrity is going to be tested and refined over and over again. Your integrity is going to be tested time and time again. Over and over again, it's going to be tested. You know, our, our life and our relationship with God, it's like we've got our faith over here, 
and we have what we actually do. Like, like this is kind of what we believe, our theology over here, and this is our practice. This is what we're actually doing. And then there's this place in the middle in which I, I often call a continuity of character, a continuity of faith. It's like what we believe and what we do are the same thing. You ever feel like, like sometimes, I believe this, but I actually find myself doing this? Yeah, Paul, Paul said that's, that's not too dissimilar. He, he found himself. He's like, hey, the things I want to do or things I know I should do, I don't do, and the other way around. There's that struggle and really that place in the middle where what I believe and what I do is the same thing is really a place of integrity. And, and, and I'd, I'd say going through each one of us, we'd probably come down to each person and say, hey, do you believe you're a person of integrity? Yeah, I'm a person of integrity. I'm honest, I do all these things, whatever. Well, here's the deal. Jacob hadn't been, and now he's having to do it when it's so hard. It's so hard. And that would be tested time and time again in his story. And, and this whole crazy story, this whole messy middle of his life was just going to be opportunities for his integrity to be tested and refined over and over again. And if it happened in his life, I'm guessing every single day, every single week in your life, your integrity is getting tested. It's getting refined. What you say you believe and then what you actually do is getting tested and refined. And it's getting purified and cut away. And, 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 but if we remain in Christ, he's going to continue to do that. And this is, this is something we don't understand about the faith and relationship with God. We're like, God loves us. Yeah, yeah. He also corrects and disciplines the one he loves. Otherwise, you're an illegitimate child. He, he, he's just an absentee father. He's not an absentee father. He's a good and loving father. And so he wants your best interest. And so he's going to prune and, and, and pare back the areas of our life, of our integrity that are not um, in continuity with what we say we believe and what the Bible teaches. You know, there's just all kinds of dysfunction. Kenny, I think you've got a slide back there for all of the names of these 12 children. If you read through the text, you'll find that, that each one of, of these children had like a, an incredible uh, name um, that, that they had been given. And they were born into dysfunction. These, every single one of these children were born into a very, would you say that's kind of a dysfunctional situation? They were born into that. And as they did, as you look through the scriptures, each one of them had a name that had meaning. Like Asher meant happiness. And, and Reuben meant, behold, a son is born to us. He's the first one. They're having some problems with it. But I'm gonna, uh, let me go ahead and read these through to you just in order. Reuben, the first child, means, behold, a son is born to us. Simeon means one who hears. Levi means attached. Judah means praise the Lord. Dan means he judged. Naphtali means my struggle. Gad means good fortune. Asher means Happiness, Issachar means reward, Zebulon means honor, Joseph means add to my family, and Benjamin means son of righteousness. The band can go ahead and come um, today. These names, each one of these children born into dysfunction had meaning and purpose over their life. And Jacob will leave this place through a really difficult time where his integrity has been tested. And he'll have another night with God. And, and this time, it's not just a nice little rest on a rock. This time, he's going to wrestle with God. He says, God, I'm sick of the dysfunction. I'm sick of 
the, this old life. I'm sick of the mess. I'm not leaving this wooded area or I'm not leaving this room until you bless me, God. I've always thought when I read that text that, man, Jacob was being selfish. Just bless me, God bless me. No, no, he was saying, God, I want all that you have for me. I, I want to walk in the fullness of what you have for me. I want to walk with integrity. I want all you have. And that night he wrestled and he walked away with two things. He walked away with a new name and a new limp. He walked away differently from that wrestling, that blessing. He was blessed with a limp and he was blessed with a new name. He'd be known as Israel from that day forward. Yeah, the Israel that all of Israel is named after. These sons, these 12 sons of Jacob are the 12 sons of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And if you put all of those names together in sequential order, I want to tell you today that the mess and the dysfunction that all of them came from makes an incredible story, an incredible message that points to Jesus Christ. And whatever dysfunction you came out of, whatever mess your life has looked like or your weeks have looked like, God wants to take it and turn it into a message that points to Jesus. Here's what the collection of all of those, if you read them in order, reads. Behold, a son is born unto us, one who hears us and became attached unto us. Praise the Lord, he judged our struggle and brought us good fortune happiness, reward, honor. He added us to his family and called us the sons of righteousness. God takes the mess and the dysfunction that we're born out of. And when we're running, he, he shows up and we wake up. At some point, we wake up and say, surely God's in this place. And if he can use Jacob and the history of deception and dysfunction this family, and he worked out how to walk it out in integrity. But I think some of us, we need to have an altar moment. Maybe it'll be down here. Maybe it'll be at your seat. Maybe it'll be in your car this afternoon or this week. Maybe it's an altar moment where we realize that God has a plan for our life for the first time in our life. Maybe it's an altar moment where we're like, I'm sick of the mess, God. I'm not leaving here until I've got all and I'm surrendered completely before you so that you may have all of me and I may have all of you. I don't, I don't know what that is, but what I do know is out of every dysfunction that comes from all of our lives and all of our stories, all the mess that we find ourselves here in the middle, there, God wants to use it for a message that points to Jesus. I want to ask you to stand and I want to pray with you in this moment. Talked a lot about Jacob today. A lot about his story, but as I told you at the beginning, this story is not about Jacob. A lot of times, hey, my, my situation's complicated, Pastor. You don't know about the family I came from. I, I didn't have this, I didn't have that. And we make all these kind of conditions, and hey, I would just say, yeah, yeah, he, I, don't, I don't know, but he knows. He knows. A lot of times we like to make ourselves the main character. But we're not the main character. It's God's love and his faithfulness that's the main character. We've been called out of that into his glorious light. I don't know what you've sowed. I don't know what you're reaping right now. I don't know what your father, your grandfather sowed and what you're reaping right now. But I know that God loves you and he's faithful. And if he can be faithful to Jacob, 
He's going to be faithful to you. If he can make a, a message that points to Jesus out of this dysfunctional family, then he can do it in your family. Let's pray. Father, we just honor you for your goodness and your extravagant love that you've just lavished on us over and over again. God, I pray that whatever you're trying to speak about our relationships, about our integrity, about transformation, about promise, about calling on our lives, I pray that we would get the message, God, that your, no matter how many times we try to run from you, your love will chase after us. It will meet us in the dark place. It will meet us in a dream. It will meet us in a valley. It will meet us in a ditch. It will meet us in a car in a bar. God, you'll meet us where we're at. God, no matter where we're at today, God, I pray that you, we would hear your, your call to us and we would wake up spiritually like Jacob woke up and said, surely God's in this place. God, we love you today. I pray that as we sing this next song, God, we would, we would make it a decision. We would all, we'd make an altar moment at this altar, at our seats, at home, or wherever we're at. We'd make that decision to follow you and surrender to you. In Jesus' holy name. Hey, folks, I'd love to pray with you. We've got some prayer partners. Let us know how we can serve you online. Uh, we want to pray with you. F please feel free to come and, and just make an altar at your seat um, or at the altar or wherever you're at at home. Let's worship together.